We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to turn to this text that Charles read in Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, If you'll take a gaze at chapter 10, you'll see that it's a uh, a sermon every sentence. Uh, Every single, we're, we're into what is called the application of wisdom. Chapters one through nine is the philosophy of wisdom. Before you're going to start giving a bunch of rules in chapter 10 and following, you've got to spend your initial time in the question of says who. Are you with me? You've got to answer the epistemological problem of says who. And so what he did in chapter 1 through 9 is he gave you the philosophy of divine wisdom. And you don't have to write these down, but he said about seven things. He said that it's your greatest treasure is not merely knowing what to do, but to know why you do what you do. It's why the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. There's your standard is God. And so this is the greatest treasure you have is the ability to see life from the gaze of God. You can be successful in everything else, not know this and be a disaster. And then secondly, that the wisdom comes from the fear of God. Not simply God, a G-O-D, but Yahweh, the God that you reverence, that is infinite and is personal. And so that is what wisdom is. It is a reflection of the character of God. And thirdly, uh, it's seen as in the Bible. You don't have to figure out who God is. God will tell you who he is, thank you. He will enunciate who he is in the Old Testament, And as we continued, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The church has that full recognition of who the triune God is. So you know your Bible. And then fourthly, wisdom is the design of the creator. That just as he laid out the the natural universe that operates according to law, the pillars of the earth belong to God. In the same way, marriage, family, sexuality, relationships, self-image, right, wrong, kids, work ethic, it all comes from the creation of God. And so when you violate the word of God, you violate reality as it's meant to be. It is the most self-destructive thing you can do. And then fifthly, uh, the uh, design of the creator will come back on you in this world. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you are foolish, you will bear it alone. And so whatever a man sows, it's going to come back like you did. It's going to come back inevitably, and it's going to come back in multiplicity on you. And then sixthly, wisdom is not lived, he has told you, in a vacuum, that you live it in the opposition of the prince of the power of the air and of a liar and the father of lies. And so it's real risky business to be a human, okay? If you're a cat or a dog, you're okay because they're hardwired. They always do what they have to do. That's why you can't study the history of uh, the cheetah, all right? They have no Renaissance, Dark Ages, and Reformations. They're just cheetahs, okay? Humans can have world wars or they can have uh, Nobel Peace Prizes, whichever one. And then seventhly, it involves choices. There's the house of wisdom 
and the house of the harlot. Which would you like? Okay. And so after he has laid that foundation, now he says, let's apply this. That's why they call Proverbs uh, the law of God in the cracks. How do you apply uh, do not commit adultery? How do you apply do not steal? How do you apply get along with your neighbor? How do you apply relate rightly to God? There's a lot of what we call casuistry or case law. In this situation, what do I do? And this is why I think Proverbs is probably the leading book that people will say, uh, that's my favorite book or I've read it all of my life because it's instant wisdom. You don't have to be brilliant. It speaks down into the cracks of where you are. You can be an atheist, live the book of Proverbs and have a good life before you go to hell. Do you know that? You really, that's an encouragement, but you really can. And so in chapter 10, verse one, here's your first lesson that wisdom has to show up, not simply in you chapter one through nine, it's got to show up in your kids. Amen. That's the way you know you've been a decent parent. It's not merely that righteousness shows up in your kids, but your kids will carry it into their next generation because they so believe in the life of their parents. That's not to make you feel guilty, but that's how you do well. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, son, grand, son and grandson. And so a wise son, a godly son, is gonna make a father glad, a fool is gonna make a mother sad. Psalm 127, Solomon speaking to the nation, it goes like this. Unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain. Unless God guards your city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. You are one generation away from disaster, Solomon says. Let's close in a word of prayer, okay. You're one generation from disaster. Deuteronomy 6, to the new generation going into the land, this book of the law shall be on your heart, parents, and you'll teach it diligently to your children. First command. Judges chapter two, a generation arose which did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel, and they turned aside to follow the Baals. The parents created a vacuum of ignorance. The world provided the implosion of error. From childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. So glad or grieve, it's the most important thing that you can do with your kid. Uh, kids, would y'all agree with this? Uh, it was James Dobson who said, always teach your kid that life is loaded. It's a dangerous thing. A kid is a claymore mine. You heard it here. So when you get married, you be careful about that honeymoon, all right? Because you might take a couple of half cells, bring them together, then you got a human on your hands that's fallen. And if they naturally are left to themselves, they will bring down Western civilization, all right? And so it requires handling with care. Make sure you're putting into them a wise son. Can you, and this is why this is a good text, can you raise a kid to be smart, clever, 
rich, talented, beautiful, whatever that can bring you great shame. Yes, you can. You've got to make sure, like Plato said, 300 BC, he said, a culture cultivates what it honors. You got to make sure that you don't honor the wrong thing with your kid. You will be the starting, starting shortstop, by golly, or I'll beat you. You will be homecoming queen. Now, anything with, with athletic ability or beauty is going to start fading about age 27. Okay, you're going downhill. But wisdom is going to take you for the rest of your life. You don't praise your children for their talent because they can't help that. It's God-given. You, when you do that, you flatter them. You praise them for their application of it, for their virtue. That's what you praise. My son, Benjamin, uh, was he could charm the birds out of a tree. My grandfather said before he died, the only reason he wanted to stay alive was to watch this boy grow up. Because Ben was like, a, from the age of two, he was like a talk show host, okay. And I remember one time I was out jogging and Teresa pulled up next to me and she's going to the hospital and Ben is sitting in the front seat with his face like this, something on his eye and John's on the back seat like this. They had been playing a game that they liked to play. It was called hit you in the face with a blunt object, okay? <laughs> you would stand like 12 feet away and you'd take a blunt object and throw it at the guy's head and he couldn't move. And so, it's a, you ever played that? It's a great game. And uh, Ben threw a clipboard at John and missed him, you know. And so John threw a boot and hit him, all right? And it cut the tear duct right here. And so they had to go to the, uh, so I went up there to the hospital and here is the guy that's gonna give Ben a shot in the eye so he can put in this rod. Well, Ben decided you wasn't gonna do this. Okay, this was just last summer, all right? So, <laughs> no, nah, he was about, I guess Ben must have been maybe five, four. John was just a little fella. Now, nah, maybe Ben was seven or eight, but Ben, John was just a little guy. And the guy trying to put it in got in a verbal argument with this eight-year-old, all right? <laughs> and the guy that was arguing with him was from Brooklyn, okay? And I sat there and watched him. And he goes, yo, Ben, let's, let's have a dialogue, okay? I gotta put this in, it's my job. Ben goes, I think you need a vacation. <laughs> the guy goes, touche, Ben. <laughs> and so he, he was a charmer. But the thing that we praised Ben for is uh, Ben is in the Secret Service. Ben was in the military. Uh, you remember Black Hawk Down when they drugged that Marine's body or that uh, uh, guy's body through uh, Mogadishu? Maybe it was a Pulitzer Prize photo. It was horrible. Drugged that guy's body through the streets. And Ben was a junior in high school and he saw it. And he jumped up, got in the car, went down to the recruiting office, signed up to be a ranger. He said, I'm gonna kill somebody, that's facts. And so he, he was just moved. And so his senior year, he finished, went to Fort Benning, uh, excelled, went to uh, Fort Riley, excelled, was the head of the security 
on that base. He uh, got out in between those Middle Eastern wars we had, those, all those desert storms and uh, Kuwaiti freedom and all those. He was right in between them. But he was watching on the TV one day and he saw an, these women soldiers and he watched them and he said, I know everything they're doing. Every move they make, I've done that. And, and it just made, it said, and here I am sitting around. He was making $80,000 selling leather goods, basically playing golf with the rich guys. Okay. And he said, I quit. Went immediately down, got in special in secret service. Took, uh, went through a grueling uh, intro into that thing that they put you through. He would not stop. Uh, got to be head of the counter assault team. He would not stop. One time when he was in, uh, in Fort Riley, they gave him a four-day weekend. He had just met Amanda that wooed his heart. He fell in love hard. And so he had to come down and see her all the way from the middle of Kansas. Okay. And I don't know how, but he would get down here in like five hours. I never asked questions. <laughs> he could get down there in five hours. Yeah. Amanda said to me one time, he said, Ben said, she's never made a B. I said, is that correct? She, yeah, never made a B. I said, you're going to love Ben. Because he ain't made many Bs himself. <laughs> All right. But Ben decided he had a four-day weekend. If you could run seven miles with the, the uh, uh, company commander, the DI, if you could run seven miles and not fall behind, he'd give you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and you could come home. Ben said, there was no way I was not going to get home to see Amanda. And so he had to carry the deal, you know, and he ran, stayed right with that guy. He said, I threw up three times while I was running. But he said, I would not stop. And he didn't. Got here, saw her, brought her down her favorite ice cream before it melted. Is that romantic? And she married him. Four kids come out of that. But he is phenomenally loyal. Uh, if you get in a difficult time, you find Ben because he will go till the last dog is dead. Matter of fact, he lettered at Denton High at baseball. Although he played behind a guy named Danny Martinez, he lettered. I saw the coach and I said, thanks so much for lettering Ben. And he said, well, there was a reason. If we ever got in a fight, we wanted Ben. <laughs> so he basically lettered for gang fights. All right. But he is, he is, if, if you're in a pinch, that's the guy that you want with you. And we would praise him when he was little for his determination. He would do what he meant to do. He would get it done. And so he's done well. Talent comes and goes, but that stays. John Clark was out of the... The, watching Denton baseball all these years, the best four baseball players I ever saw were Pat Burns in our church, uh, Jim Chamley in our church, uh, Austin Jackson, and John Clark. They all went pro. And he was the best baseball player, natural baseball player I'd ever seen. And uh, he, going into his uh, senior year, he was playing on special leagues, select leagues, and they tell stories to young guys about John Nelson. And here's the story they tell. 
that he got up in a tournament game, late inning, and it's three and two, okay? He's in there. The third base coach messed up and gave him the wrong sign. He gave him the take sign. Now, if you're a woman and don't understand baseball, that means you take it and you don't swing. You don't do that on three, two count. Well, John checked back with him, take sign. Watched him groove a fastball that was saying all the way, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. And he took it for a third strike. Walked over to the bench, took his hat off, put the bat off and sat down. The coach went up and said, did I give you the take sign? Yeah, I am so sorry. John did what he was supposed to do. And they tell that story among young baseball players still. This is the way that you're supposed to do. His senior year, he goes into second base and he tore the thumb, the ligament. They had to go in, do surgery, put a cast. He was going to miss his senior year. He already signed with Kansas. What he found out he could do is he could take a glove, put it on that cast, undo the strap on it. When they threw the ball, he would block it and then catch it. And so he went and pitched. He couldn't swing a bat, but he could pitch and have a DH. And he ended up making all district as a, uh, uh, a pitcher. And they will talk about that, about being part of the team. He went to Kansas, and in Kansas, it was a great baseball program. They were last, next to last, last, and last. <laughs> and at the beginning of the year, you would take a shovel and go up, and you would knock the ice off the infield, okay? He said to his coach one day, he said, you are some kind of recruiter to get me up here. But he was an all-Big 12 stolen base champ, uh, all-conference, went to the, uh, to the Reds, and I always praised John, not for his talent. He just had talent. But I praised him for his virtue, that he was, he was loyal. And today he's a detective in the Fort Worth PD, and he will not not show up. He will do his job. A faithful guy. And that's what you want to do with your kids. You want to find in your kid, raise a child in his way, Find the way of your child. Make them what God made them. See what they love and what they can do. Uh, and then when you put them to bed at night, you let them hear you pray for them and thank God for their virtues and their this and that. You let them hear you brag on them to God. And at your mealtimes, if especially if you're the male of the household, what you do, you establish authority. You give them a 30-second devotional. That's all. Here's a verse. What does this mean? A wise son makes his father glad. A foolish son's a grief to his mother. What do you think that means, Cletus? And you talk, mama, what does that say to you? That says to me that the greatest thing that'll ever happen to me is these kids walk with God. Would y'all agree with that? Yeah, yeah, you know. Father, thank you for these kids. And, and and you let them, you do that about five times a week and you just keep doing that until they're 50, 60 years old, all right? You just keep coming about what is gonna make you happy. Here next week, we're gonna have all of our high school graduates line up right here and I'm gonna pray for them and I'm gonna pray, God, that they would be good. If they're rich, if they're famous, if they're handsome, if they live long, that's nice, but we want them to be good. Amen. And build us a house in Cabo, if at all possible. You know. <laughs>
I got a grandson named TC. I hate guys brag on their kids. I got a grandson, number four shot putter in the United States as a high school kid, scholarship to Tiffin. What we're most proud of him though is, is he is absolutely focused. Once he sets out, it's like his daddy, he will not relent. He started with the shot, he ended up number four, he's on scholarship, and he is gonna make a shot for the Olympics. Maybe he'll get it, maybe not, but he's gonna do his best. And that's what we want. Uh, got a little brother named Ryan, who is the best 13-year-old athlete I've ever seen. He's a little bitty guy, he's 98 pounds, he's, he deadlifts 275. Go try that. Skip, forget it, okay? Doug, take a pool cue and just raise it up and then put on 275. He's 98 pounds. He's phenomenal. The thing that's great about him, though, is his resolve. He will not stop in what he's doing. He will play till the last dog is dead. He's a football player, Doug. He plays linebacker at 98 pounds. And he will fly. Uh, I got a little, he got a daughter named Gabby, my one female, runs a 4.7. She's 17 years old. I ran a 4.9. She's a 4.7. Been recruited from Cornell all the way down to Ole Miss and Baylor. But I tell you what I love about her is girls and guys all flock around her because she's kind. She's loving and she's gentle and she's giving and she's loyal to her friends. Her talent is gonna come and go. That character's gotta stay. We praise her for that. There's a little brother named Barrett. Uh, he's a baseball player. Looks like Brad Pitt. He's going to prison. Okay. <laughs> now, he's a, the thing about, about Barrett, great baseball player, but he's phenomenally loyal to his family. Well, he's proud of his family, loves his mama, loves his daddy. And he, he's there for his brother. There's two older ones and there's Ryan and Barrett. And they are, you mess with Barrett, you mess with Ryan. You mess with Ryan, you mess with Barrett. You ever seen Nacho Libre, the two little dwarf wrestlers? You remember that? Two little twins. That's them, okay? I got a grandson with John named Jake. Jake is 5'9", he weighs three pounds. It's like hugging the skeleton of a gar that you find down on by the river. Where'd he go? Okay, here he is. Baseball player, but that's not his bag. His bag is he's compassionate. He's the one kid that I could see going, working for the Salvation Army or something, that he's just, he's loving, he's kind. One time, uh, he accidentally ran his... Uh, 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 What's him playing red deals you pull? Red wagon, yeah, okay. He ran it into the guy next door, Mr. Bill's car. He had this super sport with a good looking paint job and he scratched it. And he went over to Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill, I scratched your car. I'm sorry, but I, I, I've been making some money and I can pay it back and I can do some chores. And that's what he was as a little kid. Uh, Jake's mother, Jenny, my daughter-in-law, knew he was over there, ran over so he wouldn't be killed. And uh, she said, Mr. Bell, we, we've got insurance. We, and he said, hey, hey, me and Jake been talking. 
And he said, I got some trash needs to go out to the curb every Monday. And it, it's, I'm too old to pull that thing. Jake's going to go pull it out for me for a month. And another thing, when I mow, I hit these old pine cones out here. Jake's going to rake them up when they fall. And so we've got our deal. One time the teacher sent John and Jenny a, a note saying that they had a, like a musical chairs game in the school and J Jake's best buddy had to drop out because he had a stomach ache and he went and sat down. Jake peeled off and sat down with him. And when you hear that, I go, that, that'll last right there. He's got another little, he got a little brother named Turner. Turner is one of the great class clowns. I don't know where he got it, but he's a, he's a <laughs> class clown. He's funny. Uh, he's a loving kid. He's a rock hound. He loves fossils. And when you give him a job, he will see it through and he will do it. I mean, like OCD. All right. He will do it perfectly. They praise him for that. Have I beat this, uh, horse dead yet? Don't flatter your kids. That's the way you spoil a kid. You praise them for the character that they show. Or a wise son is going to make you glad. A fool, he's going to make you grievous. In my uh, Young Guns program one time, I had a kid that was going in there that was going to be a surgeon. He was from a very affluent Dallas family. He dropped out of med school for one year to come do Young Guns with us, the teaching Bible. I met with his parents over at Ellington's. Y'all remember Ellington's? Okay, we met. And they wanted to know, hey, what's going on? And they said, Mr. Nelson, what would you do if your son had planned to do something all of his life and quit just to come study the Bible? I said, what would I do? I said, I'd probably get drunk for about three days. <laughs> I'd be so happy. I wasn't kidding, all right. I said, if your kid learns everything they can teach him, doesn't learn what I teach him, he's gonna be an embarrassment to you. I said, if all he learns is what I teach him and nothing else, you're going to name 10 generations after him. So you better believe I better teach that kid because where he's going, nobody's going to teach him what I'm going to teach him. It's not how to make a living. It's how to make a life. And then I said, can you dig it? They couldn't dig it. All right. All right. That horse is dead. Verse two. Now... You take that kid, all right? And in verse two, you say, kid, ill-gotten gains don't profit. Let me ask you guys, is there always a temptation that comes to you in life to make money illegally? Yeah, every kid at some point is gonna face being a working man or pushing drugs, doing drugs, moonshine, stealing, breaking and entering, something the way the crowd goes, he's going to have to make that decision. And so Solomon says, ill-gotten gains, they don't profit. Righteousness delivers from death. Meaning that you step off the path for easy money and they do not profit. And I'll tell you why. Once you make money illegally, are you finished? You got to keep doing illegal stuff. Number two, when you keep doing illegal stuff, why are you always looking over your shoulder? Because someday they're going to find out and they're going to come get you. Number three, 
Do you have any self-respect when you know you're a thief? No, you don't. Number four, does your wife respect you because you're a crook? Do you have to explain to your kids about why you're an embezzler? You don't. Uh, and you have the curse of God on you. You can never look to God for his grace. And then you have to die and go to hell. So it's a bad deal to make money illicitly. Uh, when I was a young kid, I used to love to go to the Waco Public Library and just browse. And you know what I was always attracted to? I don't know why, but I was attracted to books on crime about Al Capone and about all these guys. And I would read them. And Machine Gun Jack McGurn, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Babyface Nelson, one of my relatives, okay. <laughs> Pretty Boy Floyd, all right. Uh, and I would read about him, and always I would notice, especially those in the Northeast came out of the big cities, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, that there was always a point that this innocent kid would make a choice and get off that path. There was some time, and it always came, the fact that he could get money now. And then to a man, the only one that ever survived was Meyer Lansky. He died by himself, and he didn't get killed. They all got killed. And so he says, you start off like this and you're in trouble. I'll give you a good illustration of this. Back in the late 1800s, there was a real problem in American business that was flourishing as we moved urban. And it was people that would do commerce, not bartering, but money, cash and go. And the guy that was taking your money, there was no way to know what was given and what was paid back. And so someone with a little creativity could be skimming very easily. And so it was always a problem. And a guy in Dayton, Ohio named Anderson figured out this would be the ultimate way to meet a need in growing commercial country would be a cash register. That when you gave the money, you would push it and it would come up that's what was paid. This is what was owed back. So there better be this in that register. And he began selling these things. He became the uh, NCR, the National, or NRC, the National Register Company, and became a zillionaire just by doing this. Well, it wasn't for the buyer. It was for employee theft. That's why you did it is these guys wouldn't be cheating you. Whenever you go into a, a, a store and you see videos set up, those primarily aren't for the thieves. They're for the employees because employee theft is a multi-trillion dollar business out there. And so uh, he says, don't you ever get into heading off. I've had four young guns in my program that are doing hard time. Four of them. Hard time. Easy pleasure, easy money, and mostly pouring alcohol down your gullet on four occasions. And they're in hard time. This is an encouraging message. Yeah. Righteousness it will deliver from death. It'll deliver you from a life of pain. 
I don't have to worry if I got seen going into a motel with some woman because my conscience is clear. I don't worry about skimming. I don't worry about embezzling. I don't worry about getting caught at this or that. I don't worry about somebody at a store seeing me leave with something because when you don't do that, you sleep well. Amen? Nothing's greater than a good night's sleep. Well, verse three, we're not through with the kid. He says, I'll assure you, son, the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, that God is with you. But in verse three, he'll reject the craving of the wicked. Son, God is not a genie that you can call upon him just to bless you if your heart is not right. You ever seen the great Christian movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark? You remember the Nazis are going to steal the ark to help them win the war, to cordon off the power of God, that they can be evil and use God to bless them. And the guy opens the ark, remember that? And your face gets eaten off, all right? You know that happened in the Old Testament. You remember 1 Samuel, the Philistines? They stole the ark of God after they defeated Israel and they put it up next to the god Dagon. Dagon fell over, stood him up, fell over with his head cut off and his arms cut off. And they kept the ark of God there because they thought that that would give them some kind of power. God slapped them with rats and hemorrhoids. You ever been slapped with a hemorrhoid? With pistules all over them. They think it was the black plague, the black death. And you know what they did? The one Philistine city, Gath, says, boy, this is terrible. Let's send it over next door to, to Ekron. Here come the rats and the hemorrhoids, okay? That's why every time that you'd get ready for the hemorrhoids, they had a statement. They would say, hey, get ready. Preparation H, because this is coming, all right? That's a lie, too, all right? The point is, you don't get to use God as a good luck charm. God is not going to be your rabbit's foot. Your heart has to be right. Saul thought he could go to a witch to get counsel from God to win a battle. And God raised up Samuel that rebuked him and said, you're a dead man tomorrow. And so... When you walk with God, son, you don't have to be a thief because you're going to know the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Leadeth me into green pastures beside still waters, restores my soul, prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. And he'll follow me all days of my life. Then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My son said he had a good buddy on his job that he said he came into work and you could just tell he was obliterated. Marriage, finance, everything was collapsing. He said a couple of his buddies peeled off to make sure that he would not do something crazy. And he was just telling me about this, the stress of being in law enforcement. And I said to him, I said, listen, you've known this all your life, but this guy don't know it. He needs to know Jesus. He needs to know that he is rightly related to the God of the universe and that God is now has a vested interest in his child and will take care of him. Because there are times that you're in life that you can't get answers. All you can get is theology. God, you're with me and you're going to take me through this. When you don't know the Lord, you can't say that. You have to initially welcome him that introduces us to God. 
and put your hand in the hand of the man that stills the waters. Amen. And I said to him, lead that guy to Christ. Because a lot of times, difficult times is to show you, you can't do this thing without God. It won't work. And so that's our comfort. God will not allow you to hunger. He's going to be with you. And then another thing in verse four, you have a work ethic. You work with a negligent hand. You do sloppy work. You're going to starve. Verse four, the hand of the diligent. It's incidentally, the word diligence in Hebrew can also mean the word happy. You work hard. You're going to be a happy man. Doug, you and I have an old buddy named W.L. Brown. He's kind of Doug's mentor. He could have been my great-grandpappy. And he, a lot of y'all never got to know W.L. Brown. W.L. was from Navo, Texas. He went down to John Brown University in Arkansas. And in the 20s, in the Depression, he got him a degree. And this thing was just starting called radio. As a matter of fact, during World War II, he was a chief warrant officer and he put in, he was on Kwajalein Island. He installed this thing that we had to keep secret from everybody. It was known as radar. All right, he put in radar. And he told me one time, he said, when I got my degree in radio, nobody knew what it was, but I went up to where the station was beginning. The stations began in Chicago. And I went up to Chicago to see if somebody would hire me in a radio station. And he said, I was beating the sidewalks to try to find somebody. Boy from Navo, Texas, up in Chicago, 19, right in the middle of the depression. And he said, I was hungry and I'd spent, I was spending all the money that I had. He said, I put my tie on. I went into a restaurant. I said, sir, I'm looking for a job here in Chicago and I'm hungry. And I'll do whatever I need to do to work for you to get a meal. And the guy looked at this young guy, young Texan. He said, yeah, that's okay. You sit down, we'll have some spaghetti, some meatballs, and you can work. WL said, no, I'll work first. And so he said, okay, you can bus up and clean up and sweep up. You can get those dishes. You can get out front and sweep the sidewalk. And then... uh, and W.L. jumped on it. One thing he knew how to do was to work. That's why Doug, when you took him out to eat, he would never eat squash and okra because he was raised on it. He said, I'll never eat okra again. Kind of like, you know, who was the girl in uh, Gone with the Wind? I'll never eat turnips again. I forget it. He gets to work. He then sits down to eat. You know what the guy says to him? Son, if you're looking for a job, I'll hire you. Now, why do you think he said that? He found a kid that was honest and hardworking. I want you on my team. One time, Doug, he went up to uh, a guy's restaurant and he said he finally got a job and he put in radio. It was kind of the music of the day. You would eat and listen to music. And he put in radio in this guy's deal. Nobody had ever seen it. He put it in there. And the guy was so impressed. He said, son, why don't you just work for me? Everybody that met him wanted this guy on their organization. And I said, he said, a guy wanted you to work in his restaurant? He said, yeah, his name was Alvin Capone. I said, he said, he was a great guy. 
And I said, yeah, until he shot you in the head. He was a great guy. But he said, uh, I said, you're telling me you got a job offer from Al Capone? He said, yeah, I did. So even Al Capone wants him on his team. All right. We had a guy once in my young guns that worked at a sandwich shop. He was an all uh, Georgia Tech. What are they? Are they? Yeah. They ACC, what are they? Anyway, he was a top tennis player, Georgia Tech. Worked for New York Subway. The guy, when you run a restaurant, that's a hard job because you're constantly have to keep the standard of cleanliness and, and you know, you have to keep that standard. You're always got to be there. Well, this guy had never taken a vacation that owned this restaurant for years and years and years and years and years, keeping that restaurant. This guy named Mark went to work for him. And for the first time, he never worried about employees, you know, stealing stuff out of there. And he was just excellent because he had a, a standard called God. And after a while, he could do something he'd never done. He could go home at three and leave Mark the uh, keys to close up at seven. And he'd never done that before. And after a while, he could actually take a vacation. He could vacate and he could let him run the thing. He could give him the keys and never worry. He was like Joseph. He was like David. He was like Daniel. He would do the job no matter what. And he wouldn't let anybody else slough off. He would get it done. Before the nine-month period, he offered Mark a franchise. Why don't you take over my restaurant? I'll start another one. We'll split it this much. We'll both get rich. And he said, no, I'm going for the big money. I'm going into the ministry. But he offered him a job. Would you, all you old guys, would you agree that old guys are always looking for young guys that had the stuff that the old guy had when he was a young guy? They are. Old guys are always looking for that rare kid that has a work. The word ethos means a cave, a place of safety. A work ethic means I don't have to worry about that guy. Listen to this. Titus, uh, let all who are under the yoke as slaves not be, uh, not be pilfering, but showing all good faith that they can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. What does that mean? Not to be pilfering. Don't get into employee theft. We're Christians. We don't do that. He said, don't be pilfering. And then it says this, showing all good faith. That's what that guy did in that sandwich shop. I can trust you. That's what, the guy, that's what Al Capone did to W.L. Brown. I can trust you. You'll do the job. And that's what it means to where you're so good that Pharaoh says you're in charge, that Potiphar says you're in charge, that the jailer gives you the keys of the jail. Y'all know who Otis Campbell is <laughs> on Andy Griffin? You give him the keys, this guy will do the job. So when he got to be prime minister of Egypt, there was no difference change. He, he said, I've been doing that since I was a good shepherd. Are these pretty good deals? A wise son. So verse two, don't go 
for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't be lured into easy money because the last chapter isn't written. Verse three, God will put his hand on you if you will be faithful. Verse four, you work hard and you do the job. And then in verse five, you do it when there's no immediate result. That's when you know you've got an ethic. When you will do right, even though your brothers, Potiphar, the jailer, or Potiphar's wife will do you wrong, that you will do it right just because of who you are. Peter said, this finds favor with God. And so, verse five, in the summer, you gather, you act wisely. When you gather in the summer, you don't eat it. You know fall and winter is coming. Go to the ant, O sluggard, having no chief ruler nor officer does its work in its season. You have to work knowing there's not any immediate recompense, but it's the right thing. And in verse six or verse five, you sleep in harvest, you're an embarrassment. Y'all ever go to J.C. Penney's? You know, he was a Christian guy and he took his sons and when they started, he's going to give the business to them. He made them sweep up, then he made them clerks, then he made them be stock boys. He made them start on the bottom to learn how to work. And that's the way that you do it. Well, he goes on down into verse uh, six. The righteous, God will put his hand on you. Who is this said to? God is with you in all that you do. That was said to Abraham by the head of the Philistines. It was said to Isaac by the head of the Philistines, named Abimelech. God is with you, I can tell, in all that you do. Uh, Laban said to Jacob, I have divined that I have succeeded because of you. I know you wanna go home and take your wife of 14 years back, but would you please stay with me because the reason I've gotten ahead is because of you. I can't afford to lose you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, wherever you put him, he succeeds. David, wherever you put him, he succeeds. Paul and Peter, wherever you put him, God's hand is on him. And so he says, if you want God's hand on you, you do that. And in verse uh, six, if you're wicked, your mouth will conceal violence. You may act okay, but your true nature is going to come out. Whether it's good guys or bad guys, you business owners, whenever you're going to hire somebody, what do you always want them to give you? A character reference. Because I need some kind of insight when this guy's nature shows up. I mean, he wore a tie into the interview. He shook my hand. He smiled. He laughed at my jokes. But I want to know his pedigree. When his nature shows up, am I going to find a crook? And so, verse 6, it's going to come due. And in verse 7, even death will be kind to you. If you are a wise man, a righteous man, a diligent man, a blessed man, when you're dead, the memory of the righteous is blessed we will name our kids after you. And the name of the wicked will rot. Whenever I go out anywhere and have to keep my balding pate covered, this is what I wear. 
You know who gave it to me? Galen Richter. Galen Richter. Before he died. Come and see. It's a verse from uh, John. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets speak. Jesus of Nazareth. Get anything coming up about Nazareth? Come and see. Come and see. And so this is one hat. Was a gimme that a cane ever set aside. Always wear this hat. Uh, great men end up living on. Whenever I do a funeral of a good man, and I've had that privilege, I always will say at the end to all the kids and grandkids, I will say to them, you don't know it now, but your grandfather, your grandmother, your father, mother, your great-grandfather has left you something far greater than any physical thing. They have left you with a memory of what a man is. And I will say a lot of times, like I said of Galen, this was all the man there was. And so when you raise your kids, make sure you don't succeed in the wrong thing. Succeed in what matters. Father in heaven, I thank you for my grandfather. Now, in all the 60s, I heard a lot of hooey going down. But nobody could measure up to Robert Perry. And nobody could measure up to Herb Nelson and Lavelle. All the smart guys lagged far behind integrity. And so I pray that as we have learned the philosophy of wisdom and we now start living it out, that, Father, uh, it might show up in our kids and in the reality of our life. And we'll ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.